0: You are listening to the Wi-Fi Ninjas Podcast, where we talk about wireless technology. Here are your hosts, Mac Daring and Matt Starling.
1: Hello, and welcome to the latest Wi-Fi Ninjas Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Starling, joined today with my co-host, Mac Daring. How are you, Mac?
0: I'm extremely good. Thank you very much. How are you?
1: Very good. Thank you. Very good.
0: Good, good. So...
1: What, I was going to ask you, what have you been up to this week? But I know what you've been up to this week because we've spent quite a few days together, haven't we? <laughs> have we? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. We've
1: been having lots of fun, uh, finally getting our hands on a couple of Wi Fi 6 devices, uh, Samsung S10s, and a Wi Fi 6 access
0: point. Yes, yeah, 9115.
1: Yeah. Yes. So we can finally test the full capabilities of what Wi-Fi 6 is currently. Yeah, Um, but
0: let's not reveal too much at this point. (laughs) Let's leave the best for for the event. So, if you would like to... What uh, event is that? uh, If you would like to uh, know more about the Wi-Fi 6 testing and how much of an improvement it is now as it stands today. So, with S10s, with Cisco access points, beta codes, so support for some Wi-Fi 6 features and stuff, come over for uh, our event, uh, Natalic Nomads, hosted in London, Liverpool Street, on the 2nd of July. And where can we register for this event, Matt? Uh,
1: There's, we'll post a link to Eventbrite in our show notes, but you can also just go onto the Eventbrite website, and then just search for Network Nomads, and then it should come up with All Eyes on Wi-Fi 6. And I think there's about 10 to 15 tickets left that can be registered for, and there will be free beer and free
0: sushi. <laughs> Ninja foods.
1: Yeah. So even if even if you don't want to come learn about Wi-Fi 6, come uh, come enjoy some free food and free drink with us. It would Be good to get to get to know some some of you guys. Exactly. So what are we talking about today? Following to... on, our, on our design series?
0: Mm-hmm. So this is, I don't know how many episodes of design series have we done. We've done enterprise, we've done warehouse, we've done voice. voice. And today we are going to talk about Wi-Fi design for retail. Yeah. Yay. Clap, clap, clap.
1: <laughs> uh, exciting stuff. Retail, big, a big one.
0: It is, yeah. So retail we've We've had some deployments in retail spaces. Everything that we've done for retail so far, it was it was for rather larger shops, malls. Mm-hmm. And it was quite a lot of fun working with retail, I must say. It's slightly different than other verticals that we worked with so far. And we will try to to outline what was different, what was challenging, what wasn't challenging, what was fun, what was boring. so let's let's jump on. Is, shall we start with a with a challenge
1: sure so my recent challenge really um, when I say retail I'm talking about very large shopping centers uh, across the uk I've worked in in many of them now and the common challenge that I find throughout uh, all of the shopping centres is how much saturation there is on Wi-Fi from the concessions um, and what I'm talking about here is the retailers inside the shopping centre and then the little concession stands, pretty much every single one has its own wireless device um, and usually they're using uh, vendors that like to uh, market that they've got the strongest Wi-Fi and it can take you up in a helicopter, I think you might probably all know who I'm talking about. And still be able to connect to Wi-Fi. So what what they do is they have the strongest power turned on on their devices, lowest data rates, widest channels. Usually on the 2.4 they also use the, the non-overlapping channels. So that what that means is for the retail shopping center when they're trying to provide their wireless network to their guests, the 2.4 gigahertz uh, spectrum is so congested that it pretty much is unusable from so much CCI so much ACI Um, it's a real problem but because you cannot really control what devices guest users are going to bring into the shopping centers uh, there's a good chance that some users are going to have older legacy devices that may not have 5 gigahertz capable or not support it so sort the of retail management usually still want you to support the 2.4 so that all of their customers can use the Wi-Fi even if you try and explain to them that the 2.4 is so congested it's barely usable and they're not going to have a great experience. So I'd say that, that is my common denominator and recent challenge that I have throughout all of the shopping centers.
0: Yeah, and it's worth adding that if we do enable users to use 2.4, it will affect the other type of users that do not have legacy devices. Maybe they can do better than devices on 2.4. Knowing that 2.4 is congested and enabling it is really not the best idea in the world, I think. Because then you have to think about maybe like, you know, a band steering, uh, steering people towards 5 gigahertz. And that would increase the association times, re-association times. It will not steer all of the five gigahertz capable clients towards five gigahertz. Some of them they will still stay connected on two point four. And if they are connected on two point four that is really of poor quality, they will have poor experience, right?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. So that's that's always like a, trying to find a balance between what's what's best for compatibility versus user experience. I
1: have um <laughs> I have another recent challenge that happened to me in a uh, in a shopping center which is funny now but at the time could have been quite bad which i think I think some of the listeners may may find interesting so i'll just share afraid. this as, as well um a little while ago i was doing some switch replacements um in one of the in, one, in the shopping center um in some of the, the uh, service cabinets when they're usually in the kind of like service corridors behind the the shops inside the shopping centre. And they are at quite a height some of the time. Um, And we had to do it out of hours, and I was doing it with another guy because we had to be working at heights so someone would be at, at foot in the ladder. And one of us would be up there taking a switch out and replacing it. And I think this is the second or third night in a row we're doing... these changes and we'd got to the last cabinet i was replacing a uh, a switch in a uh, in a switch stack that um, needed to be upgraded and then this last one it was in a it was in one of these service corridors um, and the cabinet was quite high up but there was also a load of piping like running through the uh corridor so it was not easy to access this cabinet and to be able to get this switch out, we had to completely take uh, the side and, and the front glass door off of the cabinet. And it got to... We'd, it got into now about five in the morning and I'd replaced the switch and it'd come back online and everything was working fine. So it was I was putting the uh, the cabinet back together. I managed to put the side on and then I was putting the glass front on and, you know, you have to kind of like push it in at the top to where the little latch is and it, go, it goes in a little bit and then you can then put the bottom bit in so I'd got the top bit in and I was doing the the bottom bit and the my mate that was with me was kind of like standing underneath me holding the ladder he was like directly underneath me and I was at a really difficult angle and as I was putting the uh, cabinet door the, the front door glass door back in I like got it into the top bit and then as I was trying to push it in to put in the bottom bit it'd come out at the top and I hadn't realized and then it like I dropped it basically and the guys are standing underneath me and I've just seen it start to fall and I've gone so to his, catch his yeah, collected it
0: with his face he
1: was literally about to collect it but he's standing right underneath me like Ugh! and uh this glass cabinet doors coming from like quite it's quite a fairly big height and he's just standing there like waiting for it to come I've gone to like catch it and I missed it the first time and as it like fell up beneath my like past my legs I managed to lean down and just catch the top of the door with my fingers uh, and it literally just like was about to hit him and I'd managed to just catch it and I cannot tell you how shaky like my legs went after that, <laughs> trying to put this tool back on. But yeah, that was uh, a challenge that I had with working at a difficult um, location for a cabinet. It was at height, but also had all this piping running through and it was like late in the morning. And yeah, I could have uh, really hurt my friend that was kind of foot in the uh, ladder. So that was one of my uh, other challenges that I thought that, you know, it's... Maybe not quite Wi-Fi related because I was working on a switch, but it was in one of the centers that we was doing Wi-Fi for. Uh, but yeah, yeah,
0: that's that's interesting. So how how high was it above the ground? Uh,
1: no, it was is it was I probably say is like five six meters maybe. Okay, that's
0: quite high for for maybe, a switching yeah. cabinet.
1: No, it was it was really high actually. Uh, I can't think of like yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good height, but. I was pretty much at the top of that working at a weird angle. So, did you have like some
0: kind of support, like, you know, plan B if you lose your balance or something?
1: Mm, uh, Yeah, like grab onto a pole or the cabinet as I fell.
0: (laughs) 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 Or I just use my friend's face, you know. (laughs) That's fair enough. (laughs) Okay. So I'll jump to to my challenge then. Okay. Okay. I'll shut up now. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, So my challenge in retail was I was working with with a big mall as well, and we were putting uh, Wi-Fi in. And the challenge was that people that were always coming to the building through the same door, right? You have like a a main entrance, and this entrance was was quite big. It had three doors, but only one was open. And you were coming in through this left door towards the reception area. Which was rectangular, like 20 by 20 meters, and really, everyone coming through the main entrance was associating with the access point that was that was closest, or at least most of them they were associating with the access point that was that was closest to, to the door, and that was that was quite challenging to get those clients to associate with different access points in in this area. So the legacy Wi-Fi struggled with overutilization of the access point closest to to the entrance, while the other one, even though you had like 200 people or 150 people in, a, in this big room, uh, it, was, it was hardly utilized. So what we had to, to, to do is to install the access points with external antennas, and we went for high gain uh, sector antennas. We put them in the, not corners, but close to the walls on both sides of the reception area, pointing towards the entri- entrance doors. And we angled them slightly down and slightly to, to the sides, facing away from one another, uh, to the point where, where you were walking through the room from left to right side and back, you would roam between these two access points, which, which was quite, quite great, actually. So try to imagine that you have like a busy period of a year and it was a busy reception area and you have 150 people coming in. Uh, there is some promotion. You have some maybe client engagement apps and they want to use the Wi-Fi. They want to post their pictures and all of them, they try to, to do it connected by well, being connected to one access point that would quickly go tits up. So it's quite crucial to to use the correct antenna type for for the job in this case. It was just to make sure that we slice the spectrum in two areas where people would spread around more evenly. And that's, that's it. That was my challenge. I will shut up now.
1: <laughs> okay. now that's a, that's a good one because, you know, it's sometimes people may just think, oh, just use omnidirectional and, uh, antennas in most situations, and it will be okay. But that kind of that proves in high-density you need to kind of, and in this environment, that you, sometimes you need to get a bit clever with your antenna choices and really get to know how people are going to be coming in and moving through the building and how they're going to connect, how it's going to behave. So it sounds yeah, like and it's pure. also
0: It's also a tough sell because normally clients, they, they haven't even heard about the external antennas yeah. for Wi-Fi, and they are accustomed with internals only. And the internal AP with built-in antennas is, you know, it's much cheaper at the same time, right? proper antenna can be more more expensive than the access point itself
1: yeah true and also i think we'll probably touch on it a little bit later on that may allude to another issue is that if you've got if you're trying to provide like location accuracy and you've got an access, an access point that's got hyperlocators built into it you can't have that and and, and an external tenor,
0: antenna yeah unfortunately
1: so, yeah so um but let's come on to like, ap choices and stuff a little bit later on
0: cool Sounds like a plan. Uh, let's let's just do a quick recap then. Uh, so as always, even though it's like a different vertical to the ones that we've discussed before, the same considerations still apply. So we have to understand the purpose of the network that we are putting in. We have to engage with a client to capture all the requirements, success criteria, to understand what they want to use the network for, what is the uh, business drivers behind putting a new Wi-Fi in, is it just to give people basic data uh, connectivity uh, browsing ch- checking emails posting on facebook or is it is it something something else high density events location tracking uh, maybe some voice voice for staff voice for clients voice for everyone we have to we have to know that we also need to to know what would be the capacity of the network how many people are coming in are they coming in in similar capacity throughout entire year, maybe it's a little busier period towards the Christmas. You know, you have to cater for all possibilities, and of course the coverage and other RF elements like like roaming, SNR, uh, contention area, CCI, and uh, neighbors leaking in, so ACI as well, and interference both Wi-Fi and non-Wi-Fi. Uh, so yeah, we have to we have to understand that all
1: and that can be a, a big consideration uh, Is that if you've got a shopping center or, or a retailer that <clears throat> has some? External areas that they want to cover using external access points uh, You need to really go to site to check for if it's affected by DFS because um, The channels that some of these external access points they they start in the uh, the unity band. So
0: yeah, that that is true, and also in London we have a London City Airport,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: actually I haven't seen a DFS events uh, like a real ones in quite a long time around London. So it's possible that they steer away from from using these frequencies, but I might be wrong. Yeah, but
1: if people are listening to this in other countries, or um, and that, that this could be a real factor for them.
0: Yeah, and also coming back to going to site always. Uh, it's it's crucial to understand what are the limitations and preferences for mounting the access points. So if you don't go to the site and you just look at the uh, two-dimensional plan of the site, it's not possible to do it accurately. So it, I think it's a good investment of time to, to go there and, and to see it yourself.
1: Yeah, because even if you look at a 2D plan of a shopping centre, with some areas that I've had to cover for my designs before, like that- the uh, back of house corridors and stuff and when you're looking at plants sometimes it's very hard to determine exactly where they are um, and there's also issues like with cable routes and where you can get cable into and then where you can actually physically mount access points yep. um,
0: and then later access to the access points. In case something happens, you need to replace a cable, replace an antenna or access point. How do you get there? Do you need to to have a cherry picker or a ladder, or can you access it from from somewhere else? It's it's also quite important.
1: Yeah, and I've also had from when some of my designs the optimal position for an access point, um, and it got rejected because the retailer paying for the space in the shopping center didn't want to have anything anywhere near their signage uh, for the shop front. So you have to also take into consideration things like Aesthetics, that. yeah. That's Aesthetics
0: the, yeah. and architecture of a building.
1: <laughs> people want great Wi-Fi, but they don't want to see it.
0: Yeah, you know, people want to have a fire escape routes and some water pipes, but they don't want to see it, but they have to. If they want to, Wi-Fi to work properly, they also have to see it sometimes, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, should we move on to the retail design challenges? I think we we're starting to kind of ease our way into there anyway.
0: Yeah, we've already started. So yeah. probably number one from me and top of our list is, is high ceilings. Pretty much every retail store, mall, shopping center I worked with had extremely high ceilings, uh, which makes it very difficult to mount omnidirectional antennas onto and also even if we use suspended brackets or, or, or stuff that's hanging down from the ceiling it can still be too too high
1: which yeah which is gonna it's not gonna be great if if you've got access points like seven eight meters high uh, omnidirectional it's gonna be hard to control where that um rf is going to be going or how you want it to behave
0: yeah, I, I, yeah, and this is a massive thing. If you listen to our previous episode, uh, one three, for what where we touched upon design for warehouse, we've discussed this high mounting of access points and how it affected the roaming for the users in the big production hall where you have 20 access points, all of them mounted at 15 meters high or 20 or 25 meters high, and each and every one of them covers entire warehouse, which is probably not ideal.
1: No. So yeah that's why going back to what you're saying about picking the right access point and antenna for the job is crucial in this kind of environment. Um, so the next challenge uh, I would say is obviously around the amount of co-channel interference and adjacent channel interference from from the store concessions and the stands um, and pretty much saturating the whole 2.4. What I always try and say to the retail management if they can uh, send out a communication to offer the guys that have their own wireless about bringing them onto their network and then offering them an ssid with a vlan controlled by an ap group in a certain area so you can still provide wireless coverage for what they need to do but also um, reduce the amount of uh, rogue aps on on the network and the amount of contention
0: yeah and that's a, that's a very important point that you've just raised here. Uh, because people they just don't don't trust shop managers, uh, the, the tenants, they want to trust the landlords that they will provide a good quality Wi-Fi. and they think that if if they put a small access points into every uh, into every concession, that would be better for them. But actually it's not the case, right? Because if you have like fifty concessions, small shops, around a big open space and everyone installs 2.4 gigahertz access point, then it it won't work at all, will it? So it's bad.
1: And also the retail management, they usually have written into the contract with the concessions about uh, decibel sound levels that they can have coming from their stores. Mm. Um, And then from recent work that we've done with shopping centers is helping them to write something into the contract about the same principles applying to the Wi-Fi. So that their Wi-Fi cannot bleed out from their stores after a certain level and it's written into it's gonna be like written into the contract the same way for sound decibels. Yeah, but
0: also like when you think about the small shops, uh, these concessions, they probably won't know what's the level of leakage from their own access point. They will have yeah. their own standard, like oh we use Meraki throughout all our concessions around the world and they will just put a Meraki in and then mm. you know it will cover quite a lot. And it's not as easy as with sound. You put sound down and it doesn't leak from, from your concession to the outside, but you reduce the power of the access point transmitting power and it still goes outside widely, normally.
1: And yes, obviously, it's not as easy to uh, monitor. You can just turn the volume down and you can hear it goes down. But if you turn the power down on the access point, you can't you can't really see or hear that, um, usually with the, device, um, the equipment that just the normal guys are but so it keeps us wise professionals busy because it means they've got to get us to come in do a survey show them how much signal is leaking out from the, the stores and then they've got something to go back and say oh your access point is way over what we agreed for it to bleed out into our center can you speak to your IT provider and get it turned down?"
0: Yeah, try to imagine speaking to 50 different concessional yeah. AT providers. It's,
1: it's hard. It is hard, but then everyone wants to have great working Wi-Fi and being able to support it for all devices. So, they've got to try and do something. And I would say, and what's the biggest killer of Wi-Fi is, is other Wi-Fi, causing co-channel interference and adjacent channel interference.
0: Correct. Okay. And that probably summarizes the uh, challenges from uh from, from my end because we've already discussed the CCI ACI and two point four gigahertz spectrum being congested in our challenges. So I would just move straight to the design essentials. Cool. Cool. So,
1: so what you have to really ask like what is the design for um so the retail management? Are they literally just looking to provide um guest access for their for their users coming into the shopping center? Um do they need to provide good data coverage for, for them guys, uh, but could it be that they need voice to work for some of the um, like service guys that are working in like plant areas and the service yards because usually the signal in them back corridors or up on the roof or down in the basement isn't great so we need to provide some wireless so they can get their devices on the network so they can communicate with each other.
0: 100%. That's exactly the scenario that I was dealing with last time I was working with retail. Where they had the customer areas and it of course required a very very proper coverage with some basic RTLS, three lateration Wi-Fi. And they also had to have a voice grade Wi-Fi in the back end. Like all yeah, you disappear from the customer's area and you are, you know, in a I don't know how to call it, like the small boxes spaces behind the curtains. (laughs)
1: <laughs> back offices, basements, service corridors, plant rooms, service yards. Um that's exactly. the thing I've, I've dealt with in in the past. Um and yeah, usually you get no phone signal in these areas. So um if you can provide a, a wireless service for them to be able to use, for them to be able to communicate with uh other employees, um it's really useful for them guys. So that's that's one of the other things you need to consider. And then usually you've got like, the back office part where it's gonna be like corporate. Users, so it's a standard design for office in the back of house, then voice connectivity for guys using the back of house areas, and then they are only usually for guests. But one of the biggest things that I see in retail and what I'm doing for design for retail at the moment is for guest location analytics. So for retail management to be able to get... Um, an idea of how many users are coming into the shopping centers what sort of paths they're traversing what zones do they go through uh, how they can interact with their um guests is a, a massive driver now so that, that sort of level of analytics is um yep. massive
0: so that's that's one of the drivers main drivers now behind mm-hmm. having a slick wi-fi in uh, retail and it's also quite a big challenge because you would like to collect as much information as as possible about the customers that are doing shopping in your in your shopping center, but at the same time, if you if you ask too many questions, they will simply not connect, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So keep it keep it simple. It's still possible to have quite a lot of data coming from the clients and make it simple for them. Like use social networks to connect to to the access point. So this is this is a big consideration about. Uh, the security versus compatibility and user-friendliness. So how do you do it to, to provide value to the business and not make it too difficult for clients to use and also encourage them to use it? What happens when the client comes into the shop and sees a poor 4G reception? They will double check out the Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. Yeah, what, what happens if they check out the Wi-Fi? They click connect and then you ask them, what's your email address? What's your name? What's your surname? What's your date of birth? What's your favorite color? And then you think, ah, oh, <laughs> screw And that. then
1: we're going to send you a
0: text or an email to verify that you are who you are. Yeah, I, I, exactly, mate. That, that would oh. be, yeah. So that's, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. And also there are different uh, design essential considerations about how do you block Wi-Fi users from attacking each other? You know, not everyone is super nice and friendly out there. Uh, some guys, they will try to prove themselves, the hacking skills to, to them and to the world, or just doing it for fun. So maybe they will go to the shopping mall and connect to the network and start scanning it to see, oh, what can I see here? Can I see some network devices? Can I see some other wireless guest clients? Can I uh, can I attack them somehow, make them join my software access points? You know, stupid things like this. It's It's possible. So we must do uh, some basic security stuff, like properly block the access from the guest network to the infrastructure, uh, block access between the guest devices over the Wi-Fi network, right? And also, we have to be mindful of the fact that normally, guest networks, they are unencrypted. So it's open-open with redirection to, to the uh, guest splash page through which we would collect some basic information about the, uh, about the customers, but it's, it's open, open. So if you don't rely on SSL encryption or, you know, something like that, like HTTPS, then, then it's all clear text. So you have to be mindful of that as well.
1: Yeah. I, I, when I speak to a lot of people, that they don't really understand that either, um, that non-technical people about when they connect to about wireless networks and stuff, they don't really understand that, yeah, you probably shouldn't be doing your online banking at your local Starbucks
0: on the free Wi-Fi. And well, so yeah, then, it, but is it really that wrong? Uh, it's it's all, you know, HTTPS, even if it's unencrypted on the Wi-Fi side, it will be encrypted on the other protocol side.
1: You'd hope so, wouldn't you? But you, you never know. Depends on what they're using. Yeah, most, of, is, most true. Of the, most,
0: of the, most of the time, you'd say now, yeah,
1: everything is. But if you go back a couple of years, there'd be... Uh, a lot of times where it wouldn't have been, I think.
0: That's true. And it's still funny to see like big corpos uh, that are quite slow to adapt uh, to uh, the new IT trends, uh, having their mail servers with unencrypted email exchange. Yeah, so that's... people, they go to, the, that's, that's a big one actually, they go to the uh, public hotspot or the customer networks in the shopping centers, and they are exposed to, to all it takes is just to to sniff the traffic over the wireless, yeah. over the air to be able to to see their emails in clear text, that might contain ID credentials or yeah, different was, passwords and stuff. That's, that's exactly yeah, that's what, that's
1: what that. I was about to say, most people, their email password is probably the same for their other like social media passwords or their online banking passwords. So if they can capture it in the clear text from an unencrypted email, then they can pretty much go to town on knowing that's probably going to be what you use in other places. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's, that's true. why I, I heavily recommend using some sort of password manager. I don't even know a lot of my own passwords because I just use a password manager. And mine's all in, in, in there. And just I just got to know my master password and it all fires up.
0: And it's, it's never been easier, right? You have apps that are cross-platform apps to manage your passwords. Yeah. Uh, corporations, they are not required, but expected to have some ISO accreditation about how they manage the information that's including passwords. And also... Two-factor can...
1: authentication...
0: That, that Yeah, that's 100% true. This two-factor authentication is so strong those days because it's not only about the password, it's about what you own. You own this device, and this device, how do you unlock it? Normally, it's like a 3D scan of your face or the fingerprint scanner or the iris scanner. So it's already extremely secure. So if you add this factor... That that's that's also amazing, but I think we're jumping a gun a little bit here. <laughs> going yeah, to we, dip into security. That and that
1: doesn't sound like us at all, does it? To get excited and carried away with what we're talking about when it comes to Wi-Fi. <laughs> no, no, not, not, not at all. Okay, so all right, let's, where let's, are we? Where, we were we we
0: about uh, the essentials, design essentials, yeah. and we were talking about the adoption of the IT uh, by shopping malls, which brings us to the topic of value of this cutting-edge Wi-Fi. With or without apps, let's say. So try to to think about the scenario where retail wants to have location tracking, which we'll, we will talk about a little bit more about it in in a future episode and in a sec. Uh, how do you how do you track them? What do you use? Do you use just Wi-Fi? Do you design to use Wi-Fi that, for a main factor for for the location tracking? If the answer is yes, then what is your goal? Are you fine with just the zone location tracking, like a presence analytics, where you will know which access point the device is associated with, or which device is being uh, seen by the ax- closest access point with the highest RSSI? So this might be good, where you have some small rooms inside a shop, where you have an one access point in each of those rooms. When you're associated with this AP, you know directly that you know the client is yeah, somewhere there,
1: there's a good chance that they're going to be in that room if they're associated to that access point.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then maybe you want to have a slightly better accuracy to know which side of the room the client is in. And then that would that would introduce slightly more access points installed on the outside perimeter of the covered area. And it would give us accuracy of anywhere between, you know, 7 to 20 meters. That depends heavily on the design, number of access points and environmental yeah. factors.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it depends if they've got any atriums, because atriums are not your friend.
0: Oh like, my it's the god. The Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, I spent ages trying to make RTLS work around the atriums, and Atriums, there were areas actually where not only coverage was expected but uh, by the detailed RTLs capabilities and that was that was fun, I but must this tell you. Is,
1: This is where you see that that users and clients and people become superhuman because they can one second be on the uh, ground floor and then next they can just fly up to the third or the fourth floor and yeah, then you okay. know, oh, well, two seconds later I'm going to just jump back down to the second floor now so um yeah, Atriums wow, what a nightmare they are.
0: That is That is true.
1: Atriums and location analytics for Wi-Fi, yeah, definitely a uh, well. Uh, if it's a, if it's a a just challenge.
0: if it's just zone analytics, then it's still kind of achievable. Uh, you can hide an access point somewhere, like make sure that it's reflected back towards the towards the pathway around the atrium, that it doesn't leak too much. You could you could design around that, like have a heavily directional antennas. So it's it's possible, but when you start adding triangulation around it or God forbid a hyperlocation around the atriums. Then, oh my God, <laughs> okay, that can't be fun. Uh, which brings us to to another Wi-Fi tracking RTLS solution that is even more accurate than triangulation. It will require not even more access points, but more capable access points with Wi-Fi arrays around the access point that mm. will be capable of not only seeing the RSSI, but also the difference of time of arrival and angle of arrival. It sounds a little bit complicated, and it is. That's a lot of number crunching to, to get this right, but it's it's there. And that's, that's Wi-Fi location tracking. So when you are designing uh, for retail RTLS, you have to go to the drawing board and decide what do you want to use for location tracking. Is it Wi-Fi or is it something else? What options do we have? We can do it using Wi-Fi and we can do it using uh, BLE, right? Bluetooth Low Energy,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: tends That's... to be even more accurate than Wi-Fi those days. But the big well, challenge yeah, with
1: it's going to require having an app.
0: Yeah, and why is it? Does it does it need an app? What happens when you are not associated to a Bluetooth device. What happens with your Mac address, Matt?
1: No, it gets gets randomized, so very hard to pinpoint who is using it because of the Mac randomization. Um, So, yeah, but should we not give too much away about RTLS and uh, all of these different options because there may be an announcement very soon after this podcast about where... We will yeah. be talking about it.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you got me again. So I got carried away. <laughs> I know. It, it's <laughs> still it's... it's still retail design as well. It's not essentials anymore. Essentials would be TLS, But diving deeper into that, that's that's not an essential. Okay. So let's 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 move on. <laughs> yeah, we 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 teased we
1: teased them now. So um, yeah, but the other thing that's that's a bit of an essential that I think we we may have skipped over was the, um, the capacity of the. Uh, stores during different times of the year so like when it comes to like black friday or or the christmas period how many more people are going to be there so um you need to design for the density of users of uh, what it can be yeah. and the difference the, busy periods. can
0: be massive last job last i worked with it was like eight times difference because they had a heavy marketing campaigns uh, focused on uh, christmas period and over christmas it would be like you know 500 users versus 4k 4 k four thousand thousand users over the christmas period it's it's massive
1: And then, yeah, so you've got to take that into consideration because even though it's only going to be maybe a few times during the year, Wi-Fi is still going to be expected to work on them times of the year. So you've got to design um, and configure your network to work uh, for those sort of scenarios.
0: Also, like, you know, catering for 4,000 devices versus 500, it changes the scope of a network design massively not only just, from the just white a little bit yeah yeah but also from a cabling perspective number of access points number of switch ports required poe bandwidth. required yeah exactly bandwidth pipe to the internet uh one uh, bandwidth to your data center if that's if that's where it all it all goes it, it's, it's a lot of things to think about sometimes the retail manager they may say okay let's just Let's just, you know, give people very basic connectivity over Christmas while giving them a proper voice quality, high density, high throughput experience in, in other periods when it's not that busy. Exactly.
1: Um, okay. So shall we now move on to the next part?
0: Which is the drivers behind having a slick Wi-Fi in mm-hmm. retail. We've discussed. We,
1: yeah, we've touched on it. I get that. We jumped ahead again, Mac.
0: I know we're so bad. <laughs> all right. So,
1: what did we discuss? That the main drivers for having a nice sleek Wi-Fi in retail It's going to be just providing guest access for the users coming in. Uh, we want to be able, They want to be able to get analytics for the guest users that are coming in. So that'll be the location uh, design. Um, yeah, but
0: but what is the main main? driver from the business perspective why would they want to put wi-fi in because they are so nice to to the users no what (laughs) they want data yes and what what do they use this data for
1: understanding who are coming in so they can market better to the users so targeted marketing um well one of the um benefits from one of the, the location designs that we did was that they the, the retail management they could see what the busiest entrances to their stores were uh to their stores were and then they could put tar- the their the main marketing campaigns at these entrances um and another interesting one was that they were able to get an understanding of what the users how the users were moving through the um Shopping centers, and the different. If if you was like a a male over thirty, what way would you go? If you're a a female, um, over thirty, like what is your kind of like shopping habits and trends? And then they can maybe move stuff around so the way that people are going to flow through the center, they can target and put different uh, marketing in these areas or push their their mm-hmm. campaigns that they want to 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 these people.
0: That's true, and I would say it's a bloody cheap, uh, cheap way of getting and marketing email list of, of your customers if they if they don't use social media, and if they do, you can even have um, uh, how do you call it like the ethnical mm-hmm. information about yeah. about different different types of people from different countries. Uh, I know it sounds a little bit you know weird uh, the tracking. People's activity in in this way, but you don't put any names behind it, It's just for statistics, just for making sure that the stuff that we sell is targeted to the ro- to the right audience.
1: Yeah, and um, also getting users to stay in the centers for longer. So once they've been there for a certain amount of time, send them a notification like, "Hey, go get a free free coffee on us." At- XYZ coffee shop. So they now go buy a coffee, but they also buy a sandwich or a muffin or another coffee or something else. And then now they've got a bit more energy, so they stay in the shopping centre for longer and they actually start spending more money there. So very yeah.
0: It's also the encouragement for loyalty programs, but all all that requires uh, like the engagement element. It does require an application. So it it, it's also quite important to consider how we would push people to install your shop application on their phones.
1: Very true, very true.
0: Yeah. And is there anything else behind drivers? So increasing sales, knowing more about people, I think that's, that's pretty much the core.
1: Yeah, so for the for like front of house areas, that's the core is, is providing guest wireless access to get your data and use it to um, market, market better.
0: And also being nice. Yeah,
1: it's nice. also so, so at the kindness of their heart. You know, they, they love their users so much they just want to be able to give them free Wi-Fi.
0: That's it. Exactly. No other benefits. No. Do you know um, a then, single retail store that does that?
1: Oh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, the other areas that they obviously requirements for like we're talking about is like back offices, um, service corridors, service yards, um, plant rooms. Sometimes I've seen that before workers with their uh, like PDA or whatever devices. Yeah. And, and got...
0: that brings us again to, to the design basics, right? Yeah. You have to have the RF basics done right to Do a proper proper survey.
1: Yeah, your AP placement design can be very different for front of house to, to the back of house areas.
0: Yeah, that's, that's 100% the case. And again, it doesn't matter what you design for, the basics, they must be done done right. And the proper equipment will not change it will not improve the crap design. So even if you go for like a juicy AX access points with the best on the market controllers, and if you don't do a proper survey, it still won't work.
1: Exactly. Um, OK, cool. So should we move on to the next part of our?
0: Yeah. Uh, vendors, do we want to mention vendors' names? Well, I vote yes. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's quite interesting. Like you know, if you are on the market for for resale, then it's it's good to to call some names. I think that we are familiar with that we worked mm. with and that we had some experience with. So what, what what do you use normally?
1: Yeah, I mean the main
0: one that we we
1: always use is Cisco. So Cisco, wireless we, well, controllers, Cisco access points. We use Cisco Prime for the the mapping of the access points to uh, pull that information and put it into Cisco CMX. Um and then push that from Cisco CMX up into Cisco DNA spaces.
0: Um yeah. and I know And uh, it's also it also can be managed by a DNA center. So how many appliances have we just mentioned? Yeah,
1: there's a there's a fair few there, What we're we talking like four, five, six? I yeah, think, it's, three, it's you quite you a lot. That's
0: redundancy, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And... <laughs> you go virtual or physical where Mm -hmm. are you placing them quite a lot uh, of
0: available architectures from cisco there yeah it it can be like an aero controller a traditional old style cisco controller all the new one catalyst 9800 Uh, they basically both do pretty much the same thing with catalyst being newer and being based on the io x i o s xe code yeah and then how where do you place it you place it in the cloud Private cloud or public cloud or as an appliance or embedded in the switch or ISR? Yeah. Uh, what's the difference in central switching, local switching, central local authentication with some backup or no backups? What do you use for authentication? Do you use Cisco Ice? Do you use a different NAC server or you just stick to a simple radius? And then that's so many considerations about how to build a proper architecture. Because I mean, then there is, there is a CMX. Do you always use CMX, Matt?
1: What for? The location stuff I mean I have personally but you don't have to now to get some the analytics you could just be putting that information from from DNA spaces and use a connector to the connect to the uh, wireless slam controller but yeah, exactly. when we talk well I just want to touch on what, what we what you were talking about there about all all the different considerations that's just from the appliance or virtual and yeah, just building on from what you were you were saying there, Mac, about from the appliance perspective, um having it physical or virtual, uh, who we're working with at the moment design for, they the retailer retail agent, they want to come up with like a portfolio design to reduce the amount of physical kit required to go to each site. So then that takes into some some more set of considerations of what sort of appliances or what vendor you go for or how do you design that sort of network to really reduce the amount of uh, appliances going to site. Yeah, still to provide. The,
0: today it's easier than, than, than ever, right, Or to, to reduce the footprint in your data centers and and on sites if that's what you're after, because you can go, A, for a cloud-based solution like Meraki or, or Mist or, or different vendors, which we don't have too much experience with, mm-hmm. or even with new Cisco controllers, you can put them in a public cloud and make it work as a locally switched thing called flex connect yeah and then do you need like a, a cmx appliance because cmx appliance you cannot uh, put it in the cloud it does all the data crunching for for the hyperlocation, if that's what you're after so yeah. hyperlocation equals cmx now because you really need that to to do this heavy lifting for the Crunchy. network so yeah so it must be put close to the controller i would say
1: yep and also you get limitations of of how many access points you can join to the uh, different controllers like what we, ones that we were just talking about. So different options there have been a bit of a factor.
0: Yeah. And also, if you don't need the hyperlocation, I think it's is a fair statement that even with traditional Cisco, so fully featured solution that is like, you know, quite well known and quite popular and, and well very popular, uh, you do not need to have a single box uh, on site. No, I think it's possible to to virtualize most of it. So controller yeah. can sit in the cloud, then you have DNA spaces that can do basic location analytics without additional boxes like, like CMX uh, on-premise. And do you still need to to have an appliance, like a prime appliance, to upload maps to DNA spaces, or is it built into DNA spaces now? I've, well,
1: it's, it's very new, but you can put maps into DNA spaces now.
0: Yeah, so that that reduces the box count by one.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so it's starting to drop them off slowly.
0: Yeah, it's 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 getting there. It's getting there. So the next one for virtualization that would be amazing to have is, in my opinion, a DNA center. and uh, I'm not sure about the CMX, but you certainly can do data crunching without the CMX if you are using a different vendor to Cisco. So the last time we were doing quite a lot of RTLS tests, we were testing it with with Mist.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it has blown our minds away with the <laughs> uh, with the accuracy of the Bluetooth-based location tracking BLE, Bluetooth Low Energy VBLE with virtual beacons. We will talk about it in the future episode. But for now, uh, my take on it is that Cisco is amazing. It's extremely complex, but it can be perfectly suitable in some or most scenarios. So you can't go wrong with that. It's an ultimate amount of granularity that you can go for and you can make it work in every scenario. But it's, it's complex. You need to have a couple of boxes. If you want to do hyperlocation, very accurate location tracking, that's challenging from the architectural perspective. Is it going to work well? Yes, but it's difficult. However, with Mist, you can achieve pretty much the same using BLE instead of Wi-Fi and have no infrastructure you just well no infrastructure in comparison to what you would need in comparison uh, to hyperlocation from from cisco you still need to connect access points somewhere right very true very true i would just just want to add last time i know it's it's been quite a long time since we were talking about the retail design but uh with mist and the retail it really relies on the application while cisco it relies on on wi-fi and wi-fi is not as problematic yet with mac randomization so even if you have clients that are not connected to your wi-fi network but they are uh, they are there you can still have some visibility into clients that are coming back to your shop and this this kind of stuff and even if you if you need a better accuracy and uh, more information but you don't care so much about the people's profile all it takes is them for them to connect to Wi-Fi network. And it's easy for you to push your client to connect to Wi-Fi without installing apps. By connecting to Wi-Fi, your device starts talking. And then you can use this you know, activity from the device to locate it quite nicely to have the movement patterns and this kind of stuff. Without applications, it would give you very basic stuff, just a client count, devices types, dwell time, returning customers, this kind of stuff but the main take is that the app is not required with mist however it uses ble and uh, ble is a bluetooth low energy if it's not associated with something then uh, bluetooth randomizes max pretty much on every device now so you won't be able to have these basics for as long as you don't have an app so mist equals app application is quite uh, easy to to do today because you have partners that are dealing with applications mostly and they will capture the requirements from from you and give you an application that will that will give you what you need from the location tracking capabilities and engagement. Uh, let, yeah, we are getting carried away again. I know. Hmm. Worth well, just
1: as, as we said about Mist, they can do analytics with with Wi-Fi as well, but it's just it's not what they've designed their access points and systems. But really still, do. the
0: basic analytics is being uh, achieved with Wi-Fi. And the very accurate location tracking, wayfinding, and engagement is done Bluetooth. via an application uh, and Bluetooth. Yeah. Oh, cool. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, next on our list: pick your AP wisely. We've already captured most of that.
1: Yeah, I just want to. I do want to add one thing to that that I have um, personally had issues with is um, when mounting uh, access points in service yards, um, usually because there's so many like trucks. Um, uh, and like plant machinery or vehicles coming in and out of there and it's still kind of like an enclosed space the access points get covered in gunk and crap like very quickly and, and um, <laughs> yeah just yeah basically lots of crap from all of the trucks machinery etc cetera, etc cetera. so what we've had to do is install like IP rated box. I so use ruggedized access points to in these environments because we install just some standard access points in there, and not s- shortly after they're starting to have issues and dying because they're getting so like clogged up and so much crap all all over and basically. So they were getting
0: slimy. Yeah, it was gross. I mean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's just when we when talk about picking our IP wisely.
0: So, what's the um, difference between the access point getting slimy and dirty versus new enclosure that the access point is put in getting dirty and slimy? They're both getting dirty.
1: Yeah, but it's protecting the actual access point and not getting into the. Um, into the, po- into, the, into the ports and then getting into the access points oh. because it's, it's protecting the, in the enclosure. Or use the, the ruggedized version of access points that are not as susceptible to this kind of environment. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Cool. Um, so moving on to making sure you choose the right antenna for the job. I think we've, we have covered this quite a lot already um, in the show today.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, what we haven't covered yet is the configuration part. Mm-hmm. Let's let move on to that. So, would you mind?
1: Sure. So, uh, one thing to, to call out is that we, when we were talking earlier about the when you have to do a design uh, and base it on if you're having the capacity for over the the busy periods and stuff that's going to mean a lot more access points usually um, to deal with the capacity but then what happens when you have large open spaces or long long corridors with not much attenuate wi-fi and you just chuck a load of extra access points in there Uh, like we said earlier the biggest killer of wi-fi is other wi-fi even your own wi-fi causing co-channel interference on yourself so um, what you're going to need to take into consideration is that you're probably going to have to disable some of the the 2.4 radios um, to make sure you're not causing cross-channel interference on yourself or getting access points that they have got that fl- the flexible XOR radio so they can flip between um, dual 5 gig, 2.4 and 5 gig or go monitor mode and and 5 gigahertz is one of the things I would say that you need to take into consideration.
0: And in you're talking design. a little bit more around cross-channel interference, so uh, Wi-Fi interference it's, again, a question of what you want to, to achieve in your design. If you're designing for voice solely, sometimes it happens, then go back to the episode where we discussed uh, voice over VLAN, wireless LAN uh, design. <laughs> voice <laughs> the wireless with Andy McHale.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess uh, we are discussing quite a lot about the channel allocation and what unibands we are using there to achieve best results with all devices from major brands on the market so it might not be practical sometimes to use all three univans
1: and that's what what was just about to to as as well as i going back to what andrew is saying about having like an eight channel plan i really don't think that's going to be sustainable for this kind of environment with the amount of co-channel interference no yeah so you go back to the 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 design for, for wireless with andrew but um but when you're designed for retail you're most likely in most situations i'd be very surprised if you can go to a eight channel plan on five gigahertz and not have channel in the overlap and, and i'd definitely say stick to 20 megahertz wide channels because uh, in most cases they don't need to have the throughput that, that level of throughput from a bonded channel and if you bond channel it equals more interference lower snr poorer performance of your wi-fi yep um
0: And always match the transmitting power of the devices, which in most cases is around or below 17 dBs. Yes, good point there, Mac. Mm -hmm. And be careful with the bells and whistles. So recently, I really had a challenging couple of weeks with one of our clients where we had a top-of-the-range Cisco implementation, and it was designed for for wireless first and, and voice. And uh, it, it wasn't a retail, but it's transferable here easily. We had all this buttons and wheel turned on. So we had 8.11 R, V, and K, and uh, we had Flex Connect with ABC application visibility. So uh, inspection using Nbar done on the access points, because since they are Flex Connect, then it's not the controller who does the inspection, it's the access point. And it was quite a busy environment. With quite a lot of clients associated with this access point, we assume, well, we had some issues that it's just an assumption. We are not one hundred percent sure yet, but we assume that it might have been problematic to put too much strain on the access point by doing bucket inspection and trying to uh, to synchronize all these you know bells and whistles and and uh, control over the functionality that should have improved the operation of the Wi-Fi network, but probably it didn't because it was too much for the access point. So I would enable only what is really crucial for the network to to tick all of the boxes. If we are using EAP-based authentication, then most likely A22.11r is uh, fast transition, is quite crucial. But do we really need to enable A22.11v Most likely not. Most devices or some devices, they won't like it. Do we need 80211 k In most cases, yes, we do, because it will help us with roaming decisions and uh, channel scanning while roaming, uh, increasing the speed of uh, how it happens. Uh, But do we need like AVC application visibility and control uh, saying put voice traffic with uh, you know voice queue with dstp of 46 and if it's not the voice traffic check if it's a uh, citrix or video or blah 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 it's very heavy on the access point resources so now i'm not sure if i would use it at all
1: and also if you've got an open open network do you need to have 802.11r turned
0: on you, you, you cannot turn on 802.11r yeah. on open exactly. open <laughs> well, because
1: there's no there's no keys to be passed around right so it doesn't really matter yeah all right, okay, let's, uh, let's move on. I think we don't need mm-hmm. mount, mounting and positioning. We uh, covered that already about it's often often very high. Um, yeah.
0: Which brings us to the last thing, uh, short one, I think. Other standard uh, yeah. considerations that are always applicable to to any design that we might do. What would it be, Matt? Uh,
1: so, so distance from the AP to the switch, making sure it's within, uh, they say 100 meters is the limit, but we like to work off of a 90 meter rule. Um, especially with like these newer, juicier, beefier access points. We like to really try and stick to K-ROM within 90 meters. And
0: uh... and about, about that, with multi-gigabit and older cable types, like uh, Cat5s, this distance might be considerably shorter, like 40 meters or less, for it to be yeah. able to achieve uh, speeds uh, bigger than 1 gig. Uh, let's not dive into the discussion if you really nope. need multi-gigabit on the access points, but if you think you do, then that's a thing to consider.
1: Uh, and then POE, making sure that you've got enough power budget in your switches to be able to power these access points um, with the more uh, antennas and receivers, um, these access points are able to, to support uh, the more power that they're going to need. So make sure your network's got POE plus to provide these access points or some of them may even need UPoE
0: yeah so with with ax we will see more radio chains we will see more uh, receiving and transmitting antennas more special streams being supported uh, they will require more power uh, which might go as as up uh, to 60, 60 watts so 40, 45 watts we've seen already and it's it's quite uncommon yet in the switches today to support upoe so be be mindful of that
1: mm mm-hmm. Uh, mounting restrictions that like we said Some shops may not let you mount uh, access point right in front of their shop front because they don't like how it aesthetically will look. Uh, so the re- restrictions, normal restrictions, kind of apply here, making sure that aesthetically uh, it gets passed by the architects, and uh, also you mount it for optimal, as optimal as possible for wireless.
0: Yeah, and away from the obstructions like AC yeah. uh, ducts and and metal stuff.
1: Yeah, so a lot of the uh, retail stores, sometimes they have that the industrial ceilings where everything's exposed. Um, So you might have to get some sort of suspended mount for the access point to come beneath that. Yeah, like Um, I'll
0: go to to Tesco or or stuff and mm -hmm. every time I go there I think, Oh, where would I put these access points? And you can see that it's like 50 meters high or 20 meters high. You have some some lights, some microphones, uh, some speakers, not microphones, speakers uh, (laughs) out there. (laughs) and and then probably you would mix up the access point here and there together with those devices slightly underneath them
1: Mm -hmm. keep an eye out for any interferers Uh, what I found a lot in retail is um, the passive infrared uh, sensors for the security that that work on 2.4 that hasn't that interferes on 2.4 gigahertz i found that we might add
0: to the challenge in retail cctv is very common and in listed retails uh, wireless cctv is very common so be careful with wireless cctv as it can eat up entire 2.4 gigahertz spectrum if that's what we are using
1: yeah so that's when it's important to go to sites do your spectrum analysis survey so if there is any devices like that that you can then prove and go back to the management and say hey we really can't use 2.4 unless you turn off these devices because it's just going to kill the spectrum in these areas so yeah
0: exactly oh and I just just uh, realized that we haven't discussed one little very small thing uh, which I just wanted to add the uh, payment machines I've seen uh, the card takers being wireless connected to to the Wi-Fi network, and they required some special treatment. Uh, so they were like 5 gigahertz only, but were supporting only 802.11a, aka Wi-Fi 2, was it?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would have been Wi-Fi 2, yeah.
0: Yeah. So special circumstances sometimes require special SSIDs to cater for them.
1: Yeah, point-of-sale stuff is usually very um, deemed as critical on the network, when a sale stuff goes down and they can't, customers can't pay for their items, then they're not going to be happy. Yeah. Then they have
0: the items for free.
1: (laughs) Cool. All right. So I think that's probably covered everything that we wanted to cover today on our retail design. Unless there's anything else you can think of, Mac?
0: Uh, Well, mate, I can, I can go on and on, but let's, let's Um, not go there.
1: Yeah. let's, uh, (laughs) Let's wrap it up for today and maybe if there's anything else, we can follow it up on another session. Or if there's anything else anyone else would like to talk to us about, you know, feel free to reach out to us on, on Twitter, social media, uh, Slack. or anything. we're always happy to hear from you guys and hear your feedback um, and discuss Wi-Fi. And yeah, no, also, really...
0: if, you, if you have any questions, we're always happy to, to help. I really like when people, they approach me to, to help them out with something. It, it gives me an extra motivation to, to do some more research and, and help them out.
1: Yeah, and like feedback from what they do and they don't like about the show, uh, we really take on board because obviously we've been doing this for like, what, six six months now? So we're still relatively new and uh, we hope we're getting better um, and we're still giving you guys some juicy content that's helpful for you. But yeah, if there's anything that you've kind of got feedback for us that you think that we could be doing better or yeah, just want to share with us, then please feel free to reach out and we'll try and do our best to make this uh, better for you guys.
0: 100%.
1: Uh, and yeah, and also just uh, just to bring it up again, the event that we're doing is just under it, when it, when we release this podcast on Sunday, it will be not the Tuesday, but the following Tuesday after that. So it's yeah, like nine days away. The yep. uh, Network Nomads event. Uh, there'll be a, a a link in the show notes that you can go on and grab a ticket for, or just go onto Eventbrite and then search for Network Nomads, and you'll be able to find it. Um, yeah, or just go onto our Twitters and stuff. We, we've tweeted about it a couple of times now, so you should be able to find it on there.
0: Looking forward to it, Matt. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. <laughs> oh, mate, me too. It, it was <laughs> it was a little bit unexpected, some of the findings, so it will be a lot of fun, that's guaranteed.
1: For sure. But, okay, all right. well, thank you for your, for your time this morning, Mac. Thank um, you. I'll speak to you soon, and thank you, everyone, for, for listening. I uh, hope you have a good rest of your day, whatever you're doing.
0: Thank you very much, everyone. Cheers. Have a good one. Bye.
1: Bye.